Welcome, my fellow Discernibilians. Today we have a special guest. It is, of course, the former Premier of Queensland, Campbell Newman, who used to be part of the Liberal Party and is now running for the LDP, the Liberal Democratic Party, which coincidentally will have to change its name after this election. Campbell, welcome to the show. G'day, Matt. Thanks for having me. Campbell, before we begin, I must um, start by just acknowledging uh, just the, the breadth of your your career, the office, the high offices you've held and the other exploits in your career. So as we have a conversational discussion, everyone, don't be fooled. Um, it, it can be conversational and I will ask some questions which might be tough, but through all of that, if any politician was sitting in front of me, I think we should respect the office. So uh, credit to you and what you've done, Campbell, and thank you for having an open conversation with us today. Pleasure, mate. Uh, Campbell, you're now running for the LDP. And can we just start straight away with that? Just before I hit record, I said, I want to ask you about the bikey question because this has always confused me. I was only young when you were Premier and bringing in the anti um, bikey laws. Was it 2012, 2011, somewhere around there? Uh, about 2013 uh, into 14. Okay. So it's always confused me that it's not necessarily that I'm against what you did, but the same things that I saw you were saying back then, I am unfortunately living under uh, a, bit, a little bit of uh, oppression with Mr. Daniel Andrews down here. He was saying the same things. He was saying, I don't like these laws, but what choice do I have? They'll go no longer than they need to, but it's to keep you safe. And I was a little bit horrified to look up some old 10-year-old news articles where you said exactly the same thing. So it's your opportunity. Please explain why people, um, how they can reconcile in their minds. Now you're talking about freedom all the time but you did do this authoritarian thing. Yeah, sure. Well, look, the first thing I'd say in response to the comparison, though, is, you know, I didn't go after the whole of Queensland and lock them down. I didn't go after every motorcycle rider in Queensland because they rode motorcycles. I created legislation that went after criminal gangs. But mm. I, I, I certainly have some different views from back then, which I'll explore. And the answer is going to be a bit long because there's a fair bit in this. But uh, the first thing is, let's just look at the circumstances at the time. So mm -hmm. I was actually asked, I think it was around 2011, maybe 2012, as the leader of the opposition, whether uh, people wearing bikey colours in, in, in uh, public uh, should be banned from doing so. Mm -hmm. And you can actually go and look that up. And I actually said I was against that at the time. Right. So what changed between then and about 2013? Well, it's simple as this, that two criminal motorcycle gangs on a Saturday night in a public place on the Gold Coast did battle in a restaurant, scared the heck out of mums and dads and kids, wouldn't stop when the police came, took the police on. When people were arrested, uh, they then went down to the watch house on the Gold Coast, laid siege and demanded that their brethren would be released. And this is a direct attack on law and order, public safety and, um, and a real affront to, you know, essentially the authority of the state of Queensland. And I had no choice as Premier. I had to act. So I just want to make a point there, forced to act. Didn't happen. Just I didn't wake up one, one Saturday morning and go, gee whiz, time to, time to get a political issue and go after bikies. Yeah. Um, and so some really tough laws were created, the Vlad laws, um, the next point I make is where did those laws come from? Well, they were created by a person who at the time was the Solicitor General of Queensland but is now the President of the Court of Appeal, appointed by the Labor Party, uh, who I don't think I'd get into trouble saying this, is, uh, would be seen as having probably more a left-wing view of uh, political life and discourse. His name's Walter Sofronoff. Walter Sofronoff came to my Attorney General and actually said, I've got a proposal for the government. This is how you deal with it. Right. So the point I'm making is a highly respected member now of the legal profession was the actual individual who initiated and crafted these laws. Okay, so it wasn't, these weren't, often people have tried to say that it was somehow, uh, you know, far outside the normal processes of the law or the justice system and, you know, and I, I believe actually Sofronov's probably got a bit of flack from the legal fraternity way back when, when they knew that he'd done this. But anyway, that's how the laws were created. Some important points about them, they had sunset clauses, uh, and that's 
goes back to what you were saying, making the comparison between myself and uh, Dan, um, that, uh, you know, there might have been some similarities in the, in the language, but they certainly did have sunset clauses and I didn't want them to be around for a moment uh, more than was necessary. So that's the background. How do I feel about it now? Hmm. Can I ask you some well, more? Be- yeah, sorry, yeah, sure, Pedro, yeah, yeah. can I ask you more about the detail there before we go to yeah. if you've had a change of heart now? So when you had um, some of the criticism levied at you at the time, some of the amendments that were put up to put some protections for you know the recreational bikey groups and so on, uh, your government rejected all of those 100% resoundly. So I'm just wondering about that balance between... Well, that's, that was probably wrong then. You know, and I can't recall the detail of that okay. these okay. days, Matt, but I'd, I'd actually... What, I'm, what I was about to say, and you know, that, what you've just raised plugs into that, is would yeah. I have done the same thing if I had the time again? And the answer is no, I wouldn't. And the reason uh, is for, for... Well, there's a few reasons. The first one is what actually happened. And so I think it is a fair criticism to say that the police with these new powers went out and misused them. And it was very, very clear what the target was. The target was was criminal motorcycle gangs. And yet I had many complaints of uh, motorcycle riders simply enjoying riding on a Sunday afternoon, happened to be on Harley Davidson's and the like being pulled over. Uh, and they felt, and probably rightfully, that they were being harassed by the police. Now, it just blows my mind that that happened. But then the second sort of big issue of concern is what I have seen in Victoria, where the police were let off the leash Mm. and they misused the power that they had. And, you know, we saw the the pepper spray and the baton Mm. rounds. We saw the... You know, on the one hand, you can protest if it's Black Lives Matter because that's a democratic right, but you can't if it's to do with, you know, your livelihood and not being able to work and vaccine mandates and the like. So, yeah, I, I, I absolutely concede that that those those that was the overreach that, that could arise and did arise from the laws that we put in. And I, I think if I have the time again, this is what I've dwelled on, is how would I deal with it? Well, today I just say to the police, you need to act. You need to deal with criminal gangs. There are laws on the statute books. You know who they are, and they do, Matt. They do. What they didn't have was the actual will to go after those groups. It's like if I may take a parallel back to your state, you know, why is it that we've seen basically gang warfare in, in Melbourne on and on and on over the years? And now we're seeing seeing um, ethnic gangs as well. Police know who they are. Why can't they act? They were quite capable when it was easy peasy about basically you know shutting down the the state, you know controlling everyone's lives. They seem to do a great job of that because it was easy. But when the going gets tough, a lot of our police services don't have the bottle to deal with the really tough criminals. And that's yeah, my yeah. reflection. So really what I should have done is I should have got the commissioner in, as I did at the time, and said, listen, commissioner, you need to deal with this and you need to deal with this pronto. But no, you're not going to get any new laws. Use the laws that are on the books. There's plenty There's plenty on the statute books. Go for it. So those are my reflections. I'm quite happy to, to be challenged on it because, um, you know, um, I think I think there are elements of it that were wrong. Okay, so where do uh, people like chief commissioners of police get the bottle from? Get the um, courage from? Does it come from doing what you said, political leaders saying yeah. go and do this? Yeah, I think it is. It's the. I think well, you know, just to go back on what I was talking about in terms of the original incident, mm. it, it was it was clear that night on the Gold Coast that the police had adopted some sort of live and let live thing with them uh, because there was sort of the police were communicating with their sergeant at arms Mm. in the the gangs to sort of say, hey, boys, cool it down. I mean, you know, like, really? We ring criminals now and ask them to cool it down? If we know who the criminals are, why are they still on the streets? So, yeah, what it required was political uh, political will and the push to go go after the gangs and that's why that's really what was needed so look I, you know, I really do feel um, quite strongly these days that that um, those laws were misused and oh, I get that people were upset at the time now 
Yeah, it's big of you to to speak so frankly about these things. I appreciate that. Uh, but are you sure that when you say if you'd had your time again, you wouldn't have done it, the political pressure must have been intense to do something? Because as you described at the beginning of the interview, how serious it was. And the reason why, you know, I don't consider you similar to Daniel Andrews, but the situation is similar in the in the crowd's reaction in that we demand you guys to do something. Mm. And Daniel Andrews um, and other, uh, Mark McGowan might have the same excuse right now uh, to say, look how bad it was. COVID was killing so many of us. Uh, so I, I, I doubt that idea that anyone in that position, including myself, wouldn't lean towards an easy authoritarian hammer approach to get it done. Well, it wasn't easy though, Matt. Just to make it very, very clear, let's just, 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 just for that for a second. Mm-hmm. There was I don't know what happened to Dan Andrews over over COVID, but I can tell you now, uh, there was an almighty pile on on me. So, so just, just right. first, what happened was we had left wingers like a lady by the name of Madonna King, mm-hmm. who used to be a prominent ABC um, uh, journo here in Brisbane. Uh, she and she used to be a columnist for News Corp. She wrote a very strong piece in the days after what happened on the Gold Coast, demanding that the government act, demanding the strongest laws, the toughest police enforcement. And she is a left winger. Okay. So that is the pressure you're talking about there. But I can tell you now, it wasn't easy then to actually then go after the gangs. There were death threats on myself and my family, uh, had police. Um, 24-7 guarding uh, in my street for over, well, I think it was 18 months. Mm-hmm. wasn't fun at all. Um, and the, the stuff that was said on social media, by the way, uh, you know, I often reflect on all the, 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 the hoo-ha we get these days, uh, and there's often many people, I believe, in the left who get very precious when people dare to criticise them. Mm-hmm. But I tell you what, it was all right for people to say all sorts of vile things about me and, again, my family uh, and my colleagues. So, you know, I'm not saying that to get the violin out. I'm just saying it was, look, anyone who thinks it was an easy way to go, mate, it wasn't easy. It was really, it was really tough. And I put, I put my own safety, my family safety on the line, but I thought I had to do that for Queensland. So let's be very, very clear here. Yes. I would have always gone after the gangs. Yes. Had to. But what I'm saying is the laws that were created, I accept that they weren't required and actually resulted in police overreach. So that's the okay. point here, yeah. You, you do make a good point because uh, Gladys Berejiklian, I watched the way that the media hounded her into taking stronger action on COVID because originally she was taking that personal responsibility yeah. approach and appealing to intrinsic motivators. Uh, of course, she caved towards the end and went for extrinsic motivators. Can I ask, what's your opinion on the way some of the Labor state leaders have, in my opinion, seemed to get away with um, less of that, what you just described, the way you were hassled? It seems like they hassled Berejiklian far more than they hassled McGowan or Daniel or Gunner. Yeah, well, look, I, I, think they, I think they all went with the crowd, really. You were sort of touching on that before, that, mm. yeah, there was a huge amount of fear over the last two years. And I think the, 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 the polling was saying all the time, clearly, because Morrison, Morrison's actions and comments, uh, you know, clearly showed that, uh, that really, you know, there were like, you know, there was 60, 65% strong support for a lot of this stuff. Yes. Uh, but that's, that's my problem with the last two and a half years in that, um, that was a time for leadership and for people to actually point out, you know, people in political office to point out all the other impacts. I mean, just to probably get into that discussion a bit more and, and maybe, you know, this is well-trodden ground. But, you know, my position and the Lib Dems' position is essentially this, the simple version of it is you protect the vulnerable and the aged and let everyone else get on with their lives. And that should have been happening for a long time probably from late to 2020, okay? Is that what you would imagine yourself, had you been Premier, say, of Queensland at that time, you would have taken more of that approach despite immense pressure on you? Yep, yep, absolutely. And, you know, for the record, uh, people can see what I said on Sky News from probably from mid to late 2020, I was a huge critic of what was going on. Right. Because, I mean, the restrictions, I mean, you know, well, I've looked on in horror, by the way, you poor people in, in Melbourne. But, I mean, the restrictions in, in Queensland have been 
you know, a joke, you know, illogical, arbitrary, clearly political, you know, without science really, you know, first mask, you know, of no use whatsoever. Then masks had to be worn. And by the way, you should wear a mask in your own private motor vehicle or you're by yourself and, oh, oh but then you don't have to. And, you know, it just it just went on and on and on. The band of four plane flyover Anzac Day 2020, but within a few days of that allowed a very large Indigenous funeral to occur in Mackay. It goes on and on and on. It was it, it was like it was BS, mate. It really was. And, you know, I was calling it out for a long, long time. You can go under my Twitter feed as well and have a look at that. Plus, okay, okay. plus, just again, given what we've been talking about, I really hooked into Victorian police from a very early stage. Thank you. <laughs> well, can we talk about hey, police Victorian for a police officers, you needed to do what Crystal, my colleague, who's running for the Lib Dems in the Senate, you need to do what Crystal did and take a principal stand. Uh, people who just followed orders... Uh, that wasn't good enough. What what you were being ordered to do uh, wasn't appropriate, wasn't proportionate, and you should have you should have stood up and you should have told your union to push back against the the, the high uh, command of the force. A lot of people in in the job still don't like what Crystal did, Campbell. I've been horrified well, to find out. You know, I, I think I think they have no idea, basically, mate, about uh, really what their job's all about. Their job's about keeping the confidence of the community. It's not to oppress the community. And any of them who think that it's okay to smash, uh, allegedly smash uh, a, a person in uh, in Flinders Street Station, head to the ground, think that's okay, or arrest a woman in pyjamas for organising a protest or, you know, use baton rounds on Australians, you know, they're the ones who need to have a long, hard look at themselves. And I, yes. I think I think they're the disgrace. And while you're at it, if you're so, again, if you're so good, I'm speaking to you, Mob, now, if you're so good at dealing with the shutdown, the lockdowns, then why don't you clean up your state in gang warfare with the real criminals? Stop pursuing everyday Victorians. Let them earn their livelihoods and go after the crims. And you can tell I'm pretty angry, Matt. I think they're a disgrace. They are the most disgraceful police service in the nation. Wow. Okay. We're we're going to talk about the police services because this is, this is what I would. Okay. Um, I was standing in the banana aisle when the Michelin men came through that I could, that's the most outrageous thing I've seen in my life. I saw that I was there when they were jostling those people holding fruit. Uh, Okay. Your state. So in the seventies, we had, um, you know, huge police overreach with Bjorki Peterson Mm. uh, up there. Is it true that, what do you think of the cultures between the different states? Because I'm told that the Queensland police, I think you've renamed it to police service after that period, uh, have a much more uh, service oriented approach, which some people down here, like the former chief commissioner, Kel Glare, we've had on this show, he's calling for a service-led police service. Is it true that Queensland has uh, sort of swung the other way because of those years? And what I'm wondering is, really, will Victoria swing that way? Well, it should. Uh, And I think you do make a good point. And I think the observation is a very fair one. um, And there's been some pros and cons, by the way, of that in Queensland, because on occasions I think there's been a rather... um, uh, soft approach on dealing with with criminal activity but on the whole again with the um benefit of what we've seen over the last few years i think they probably did it well they did a much better job and i'm not just saying it because i'm here in queensland uh and i work with them and i had a good relationship with many of senior uh, officers i on on the main they did a much better job than the victorian police Mm. um and they managed to do their jobs without the sort of nonsense. Then again, they weren't being asked by a government or told by a government to enforce stupid, um, you know, restrictions that so badly damage children's education or people's livelihoods. I mean, desperate people get angry, Matt. Yes. That's what I saw in Victoria. And I saw, you know, I saw, uh, you know, that's why, that's why Andrews is uh, a nasty piece of work. He really is. Wow. Um, uh, can I also make a point that you were talking about the civil liberties sort of uh, issues yeah. in Queensland in the 70s and yeah. uh, 80s. It's fascinating, though, that that the, the, the left-wingers who were so prominent in those campaigns, you know, didn't stand up uh, during what happened over the last two years. So, you know, I'm afraid I've taken a very sceptical view these days or cynical view about the... Um, the so-called, um, say, the mob up here call themselves the Queensland Council of Civil Liberties. You know, they're like, 
Stum, not a word. But it's not different, Campbell. It's yeah. see, this is different from those years. This is about fear for your own life. They've been so scared of what this all is. And I find that even if you look at some of the high court judgments, for example, the Section 92 case with Clive Palmer and ScoMo pulled out of that and so on, one of the things they cite in all of these judgments in various courts, actually, is that exceptional circumstances. It's a pandemic. I'm I'm sorry. We have to do these things. Yeah. And see, that's where I I look at it and I go, my my immediately rush to, what did Sweden do? And and Sweden Sweden have led the way and they didn't have to do all this stuff and it wasn't necessary uh, and and it's been a complete overreaction. You know, I give people a leave pass, the politicians a leave pass, the bureaucrats a leave pass from probably March through to about July mm-hmm. 2020, Matt, because they didn't know what they were dealing with. Mind you, mate, they made so many big mistakes during that period. It's like, you know, people were coming back in to Australia from overseas they didn't have to quarantine, okay, when they came in. They were coming into the airports at reception areas, you know, the revival areas. They were hugging and kissing their relatives. I mean, I was like, my own daughter came back from London with her husband. And when I, like, by contrast, when I greeted them, I had a mask on. Yes. I, I gave them masks. I had rubber gloves, you know, the whole gloves. Yes. They, I, I, I basically popped them in the, in the back of my car, my, my yes. four-wheel drive, took them to the quarantine place, the apartment they were staying at, that I did everything I could to actually have some sort of quarantine. But literally I was seeing people coming in at the same time, just, as I said, hugging and kissing, which is fair. You know, yeah. But the, so how is the, that, that just shows you how flat-footed and hopeless the response was. Now, again, I do, I mean, I'm, I'm showing a bit of criticism there, but uh from March to about June, July 2020, uh, they didn't know what they were dealing with. A lot of mistakes were made. But after that time, the whole thing was then just, it just got worse in terms of the response. I mean, I'll try this on you. Why is it that throughout 2020, if you were travelling through an airport or flying in Australia, you didn't wear a mask on a plane or on the airport? But then, so I I had to go from Brisbane to uh, Rockhampton, in December 2020, no masks, no, no no masks at all. But then the next time I went on a flight was about March, uh, suddenly masks had come in and they remain in. Why? We were told yeah. by the airlines, we are told by Alan Joyce, we are told by the experts oh, that an, an, an airline was the most safe. It was, you know, the, the, the air comes this way and it goes through these special filters and whatever. Yeah. And, and now it's what I'm saying to you is as, as the risk has gone down, in some areas, the, the nonsense has continued and, in fact, accelerated. Campbell, you're making the mistake of trying to find logic in this situation. It, it actually brings me on to a bigger point I'd like to get your view on is, is the question of why you've been a, a premier, you've seen how, and you've spoken, you've had those closed conversations with other premiers. We look at some and we can kind of understand why Gladys might act a certain way. We understand why she felt pressure to resign. We can we can understand a few things. But then we look at Michael Gunner and the way he goes off at people. I mean, he's resigned now. Uh, but we look at uh, Daniel Andrews here. And the big question I get from people is, why? I don't understand why it appears, for example, with Daniel Andrews, why he's so obsessively angry over a particular issue. He must go now against the health advice and keep our vaccinated economy um, for workers why, why? Why? Are these people purely reacting to polls or what is your experience with these premiers behind closed doors? Well, I think they're reacting to polls. Uh, you know, we've got an year of political flakes and hacks that are inhabiting these offices. And I make the point that as, as a community, that's our fault. You know, there's an election in a week and a half's time and this is where people get to decide who really they want in political office. Once upon a time when I first started, it was quite easy for people like me to, and the Liberal Party in those days to turn around, point the finger at the Labor Party and say, ah, union officials, uh, ministerial staff, uh, never had a real job, straight into politics, really. Uh, because the Liberal Party in those days had people from small business and the professions and whatever, and it had real jobs and it had to cut a payroll. And, but today, not there either, you know, like they're all hacks. Almost to a man and woman, they are just political hacks. And all of them, because of what they've done, they've never had to balance 
you know, risk versus return. So that's the way I view these things. I'm trained as an engineer. It, life is full of, it, there, there are risks and impacts and there are rewards and positives from things, pros and cons. And these people don't view it like that. They view it in absolutes. They view it in terms of literally voting sentiment. And so people have been scared by all the stuff in the media about initially it was all the scenes in, in uh, northern Italy with all the, the elderly, dare I say, chain-smoking men going down, sadly, like, you know, like nine pins. And very quickly, that's where the mood was, and so that's what they did. They're, they're, you know, uh, and it's one of my objections to, to, to Scott Morrison in that he, he, he has never taken a stand or anything unless he's seen a poll first or a focus group. So yeah. is he unique, though, the way that he's a weather vane, or can we safely assume that everyone, including well, those who appear to have... So yeah, even those most, who appear to have conviction... Like most, uh, most, yes. most, well, I, well, the the the, the ones with conviction uh, have been uh, few and far between. I mean, Andrews, no. Uh, he seems pretty convicted by these beliefs. Well, well, I don't call that conviction politics, mate. That's just about you know. That's just about. I've seen the focus groups and the polling and and whatever. I'm not prepared to think more broadly. I remember what I said: risks. It, yes. It's like it's like. Um, I, I might sound like a digression, but this is my approach to actually issues of the environment. Yes. Every every day that we're on this planet as human beings, we're creating creating an impact. Right. Uh, and is the impact what in terms of the assessment of a project, is the impact uh, justified by significant benefits to, to to human beings? That's the way I look at things. And so in politics and this issue, it's yes, we're gonna lock down and we're gonna try and save lives. But what about what's happening to kids' education? What's happening to mental health? What's happening to people's businesses? And people's businesses and livelihoods do matter. Um, that's not just about money. That is about a whole range of things. And, you know, I'll put it to you like this. If, 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 if every day that there'd been a lockdown uh, the, that affected people's livelihoods, that politicians took a pay cut each day of, you know, 20 or 30% on their daily rate, Guess what? We wouldn't have had the lockdowns we had. That would have focused the mind if they weren't getting paid or paid a lot so, less. So can we then safely so predict Dan that? Dan, he's, he's not a conviction politician. He's, okay. he's, just, he's just someone who's looking at one issue because that's what the polling says. That's but cowardice. We, that's actually yes, but, cowardice. Okay. That's cowardice. But yeah. we could then predict that this cowardice in his leadership or and other premiers will change with the polls. So all yep. we have to do is highlight and amplify the public sentiment. If you can do that, but the, the trouble is who who who's going to stand up and do that? Well, how have you found the media when you were Premier and now? Because there's uh, a lot of talk. Of, yes. Tell uh, me your stories. Oh, what do you think? Well, interesting question. I mean, you know, firstly, we had an extremely partisan media up here when I was Premier mm. who um, now all work for the Premier, basically, to a man mm. and a woman. Now, they do, seriously. Um, and we, our Premier now gets away with stuff that I'd never have got away with, although there are some individuals who starting to do a better job. I saw the same thing with Dan Andrews. Mm. But uh, uh, in this context of this election campaign, just to give your viewers a bit of a feel, as a minor party, it's extremely difficult for the Lib Dems to be heard. Really? Okay. okay? So former Premier, former Lord Mayor, standing for the Senate in Queensland, when I go regionally in Queensland, I've got a lot of coverage, you know, yes, so I yes. go to Rockhampton or Townsville or, or Toowoomba, great there, but here in South East Queensland, invisible. And if I don't get elected, that'll be one of the, the reasons why, and that we just weren't able to get our message out, so we have to rely on raising money and running ads and things like that and doing things like this. But okay. is, isn't that interesting? So there's, there, there, is a real, there is a real problem in being heard and it's a real problem in some people who've got better ideas and actually changing the narrative because the media won't cover it. I mean, the media didn't want to, the media didn't really want to seriously cover people with alternative points of view about the lockdowns. Not really. Yes. But when you were Premier, surely you were forced to engage in that kind of quid pro quo that we see them engage with now. They, they leaked to the Herald Sun. 
um, they scratch their back, then the media scratches their back. That's what it seems to happen in every state. So you would have had to play those games, surely. That's how media oh, operates. That, that, yeah, absolutely. That's happening. There's not. Yeah, that was happening. No doubt about it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't so why is it? Don't. Why, why is it that people like, say, Gladys get attacked by the media more harshly? Is it the fact that the liberal type? Well, of- she, she, well, she didn't get any. Uh, well, in my opinion, she hasn't been attacked any more harshly than, say, yours truly. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh, not just, at all. it feels like Labor politicians get away with it a lot more. Oh, oh absolutely. No, there's no doubt about that either. <laughs> just. A- well, no I, but you guys need to get better at stacking the public service, stacking the bureaucracy, stacking the media. <laughs> Honestly, can I ask you how politicians see us behind closed doors? Um, I'm hoping you can give me some kind of well, insight see the, into see, see the media. No, no, no. I'm not media. I'm some dude in a bedroom that you're slumming it with right now. No, are you? Are you or are you talking about the public? I'm talking about the public. Are, oh, are we okay. sheep to be herded? You know, we need behind closed doors. You're saying, "Oh, I'll push my people to do this. Watch me. I'll, I'll get them." Or are you there saying, "No, we need to serve them"? Like, what what really happens behind closed doors? Well, my my position has always been, believe it or not, I'm there to serve. In fact, if there's anybody who's been a bit of a boy scout, it's me. Okay. And I can't help myself. That's why I'm doing this again. <laughs> you yes. know, it's sort of like I, I I just want to try and make things better, um, and Sadly, it's hard to actually get across to many Australians these days that making things better means actually having to do um, things that are seen as unpopular, uh, in other words, making tough decisions. Um, so, yeah, like the Lib Dems philosophy and why I joined, it's about small government uh, looking after uh, you know, private enterprise and encouraging a culture where people take personal responsibility but then are rewarded for their efforts. That's what I'm about. And that's the way to a more prosperous and happy Australia. Um, it's not through more and more government spending and you know, creating a, a, a dependency sort of culture in this country, which has accelerated after two years of COVID. Okay. Well, a lot of us out here in Voteland just feel like we're being taken for mugs. And I say you guys, but you know what I mean? Just the political class don't really care about us. They're just after well, their own well, ambitions. Well, I agree. Well, that's and, why I'm standing what- again. Yes, but what you get, unfortunately, is a very strong protest reaction. So if you go to the UAP, right, there are a lot of candidates that do not deserve to be there at all, and they're going to get a lot more votes than some LDP candidates. And one of them, uh, you know, our our friend Damien Curie regales a story about how she didn't even know what preferences were, and yet she's running. Uh, What do you think of the UAP here, and and how do we kind of channel that anti-major sentiment into something a bit more with with a bit more depth like the LDP? Mm, well, that is a big challenge. It's like, I, I mean, I, I can only speak for what we're trying to do, and that is we're just trying to demonstrate that we have in our party, in the Lib Dems, we have uh, a thing called the Freedom Manifesto, which is a very comprehensive policy agenda covering various areas, uh, which we could talk about. Um, and that when we've been involved in debates, where I've been involved in debates, say, with uh, people like uh, Clive Palmer's people or Palmer himself or Pauline Hanson, that we're there making you know, what we believe are sensible, responsible points, albeit, again, on occasions, ones that are you know, perhaps uncomfortable for people to, to digest. Um, well, who, you know, we're just ha- trying to, you know, I guess you've got to be true to your principles is what I'm saying, and we're trying to put forward you know, authentic, real uh, policies which Australia needs. Um, and, you know, hopefully we can get the message out there. That's what we're trying to do um, through, you know, our own, albeit limited advertising up here. Do, do you have any predictions on how the Australian, uh, well, you would agree that the Australian public are embracing minor parties, right? This massive historic level of vote is coming. Yeah, it's interesting. Look, I I just wanted to sort of, yeah, I sort of challenge that a bit at the moment. There's a lot of talk about that, but um, I could be wrong, but I'm just remembering, I I went and had a look at uh, the election result in uh, 2019, and I think putting aside the Greens, the the minor party slash others had 14.9% primary, and the last news poll that came out, only a matter of days ago, seemed to have the polling for the minor parties and independents at 15. Oh, so, so this 30% talk is not true. Well, it's 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 sort of 
it's getting up there with the greens. If you add sort of eleven to twelve with the greens, yeah. yeah. So I'm hearing so thirty from Topher Field and friends. Maybe he's mistaken. Well, it, you know, it, look, the, the real poll obviously is on election day, Matt. I, yeah. I, I'm having two Bob each way here, mate, which is a bit unusual for me yeah. uh, because what I'm about to say is, look, I think on election day it could be a lot higher. That's my sense of it. But I was surprised when I looked at the numbers. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Well, regardless of whether it's 12 or 28, I'm wondering whether we're going to end up more like a US style, which would give you know a Palmer-Clive vote, would uh, a UAP vote would be very high, and it's kind of more opportunistic. They have placards all over Australia saying freedom, freedom, freedom. And I'm like, mate, your party doesn't really even understand what freedom is. That's an LDP thing. Um, I'm wondering if the public is going to go more towards that and 3% maximum home loan interest rates, or if they're going to go more towards Tell me about what freedom actually means in the LDP. Do you have any mm. predictions? Well, I, I think I'd say this about the the both Palmer and one and, and one nation is that yeah. it's it's only a few selected issues that they are pushing yes. as hot buttons. Yeah. What we're doing is we've got this freedom manifesto where again we've got a prop-up policy platform. Uh, and the other thing I would say, the, the only party that I can see in this entire election who's saying that taxes should ultimately be dropped, that the budget should be balanced, which means that spending has to be reduced. Other Lib Dems, we're the only people saying that. Everybody else is just dashing out um, you know, money to go and buy lollies for the kids. Yeah, um, so that's that's a big point of differentiation, which may not be some, well, sadly, so many Australians now think that it, you know, that, that really what it, what it all should be about is the government dishing out more money. And, you know, I say to people who think that, you know, it doesn't matter to have balanced budgets and keep debt down, look at the inflation. Mm. Look at the inflation breakout. It's happening, Matt, because of the crazy spending, the printing of money over the last two years. And I'm not being wise after the event. Again, people could go and have a look at my social media feed going back to probably the middle of last year, but I couldn't believe that, A, the Reserve Bank didn't see it coming because I was saying so at the time and because I'm in business, and, B, uh, the, the politicians, like people like Frydenberg, couldn't see it coming. They, all, uh, they spent a long time saying, not going to happen, not going to happen, not going to happen. Then they said, oh, uh, transitory, transitory, transitory. Right. And then we get to a point where last week the head of the RBA goes, oh, yes. I'm surprised. Well, yes, yes. well. Ding dong, it's no surprise. And that's why Ross Greenwood, uh, who writes for the Australian, got stuck into him seriously. So if you think that reckless spending doesn't matter, if you think that government can just, through modern monetary policy, just print money, think again. I I don't know why people are so so intent on, you know, repeating the follies of, you know, the past 100 years ago. Yeah, it's it's a sugar hit, mate. Can I... um, We'll wrap up on one last topic. I wanted to go to your personal personal motivations because people are going to be faced with the choice. They're going to see your name on the ballot paper right now in pre-polling and on, on election day. And they're going to be wondering whether to give you another going Queensland, uh, even though it's a very different role. I have been wondering, even though I won't have the opportunity to vote for you, I'm wondering how, I said this to Damien Crew the other day, how much do you identify with the core ethos and the principles and the values behind the LDP? Because you're recently, you're a newcomer to the party. And how much is it, with respect, how much is it opportunistic that it's a great platform to run on and, and get perhaps your your policies mm-hmm. and so on are quite noble in, the, in and of themselves, but they're not necessarily aligned to the LDP. I'm just wondering what happens here. And, uh, you know, do you go and just start another party if this doesn't work out? No, go no, well, look, it, well I, firstly, well, there's a bit I've, I've got to answer on it. Firstly, the yeah. values of the Lib Dems, you know, as we've been saying, small government, uh, you know, uh, backing private enterprise, you know, wanting balanced budgets, low taxes, keeping debt down, personal responsibility, rewarding people for their effort and getting government out of people's lives. Now, look, that's what I've been about since the beginning of my political career. That's what the Liberal Party are meant to be about. Go to the Liberal Party's statement of values and start seeing if they're true to that or not, and they're not. So that's why I left. Now, I left, and what happened then is I had to decide what I was going to do if I was going to run, and most of the people whose um, opinion I value here in uh, Queensland advised me to run as an independent. Right. 
just ponder that because I do have a profile and they felt I should have run run as an independent. And that was that was the advice. Uh, Palmer tried to recruit me. Hanson tried to recruit me. The Lib Dems approached me. And the reason I went with the Lib Dems is because of those values and because this is more than just me getting elected. What we're trying to do here is build a movement across the country. We're trying to take a micro party that's been around for 20 years but hasn't had enough success, had a bit of success, uh, but it, it needs to build to be to be a force. We want to try and get a, um, a, uh, a number of people in the Senate. Of course, we'd like to get people in the House of Reps too, but particularly we'd like to get three or four people in the Senate. So my colleague, for example, David Limbrick in Victoria, um, people like Kate Finnell in WA, John Ruddock in New South Wales, just to name a couple, Sam McMahon uh, to be re-elected as a Senator in the NT. What we want to do is get those people up and then be this ballast in the parliament against continued reckless spending, continued approaches on high tax. I mean, yeah, I, I, I mean, we are here back where we were, you know, sort of 40, no, 50, yeah, 45, 50 years ago, where, where, where these crazy politicians are starting to talk about inheritance and gift taxes and raising capital gains tax and raising the GST. Like, if you give government more money, if you give bureaucrats more money, they will spend it. Uh, I've been there. And so what we need is a, a group of people in the Senate to actually stand against that nonsense and, and really call it out and explain to Australians where we've been, the journey we've been, that the the benefits that we got through the 90s and the 2000s, through having a deregulated economy, through actually opening up and letting people you know, get rewarded for their effort, that actually led to the prosperity we've enjoyed. Now we're, do now we're doing this. So that's our objective. That's why I joined the Lib Dems. Their values are my values. Could have done it by myself, but I'm not into being the Lone Ranger. Um, I want to do it as a team. Okay, let's assume that you you do get in, you get the balance of power in a hung parliament, what have you. Uh, if we use the prism of the way you came in on a platform as premier to shrink to, to give the needed shrinking of the public service in Queensland, um, without getting into too many details of that particular thing, just the general principle of you were elected to do it, you did it. Mm -hmm. Then they belted you for doing it. Is there, a, could you go too far with the Lib Dems get in, they get the balance of power and they get a backlash against even these positive reforms? Well, that's a good good question. Um, and I suppose just reflecting on my time in office, I mean, we had too many um, sort of uh, fights with too many interest groups too quickly would be, you know, the response I'd give to you. Um, and if we'd taken one less, you know, had one less issue that we'd fought on, you know, we could have we could have been we could have had the bikey thing far as far lesser an issue, or we might not have uh, had a big Barney over the appointment of a new chief justice, which was about trying to get reform in the courts and a better a system of justice as opposed to a legal system. Uh, I could go on. Um, too much, you know, too soon. Too much, too soon is a, is an argument I do accept from people, although it, it's a bit simplistic. I, I don't think that. Uh, the Lib Dems, even if we've got the balance of power, we'd be in a position where we'd be able to dictate those sort of terms. But it's about right. it's about it's about putting a break on the runaway um, spending we're seeing and the constant uh, narrative these days about higher tax. I mean, we're a highly taxed country. We cannot tax our way. You know, using the old hackneyed term, we cannot ha tax our way back to yes, prosperity. Yes. yes. Um, what we have to do is make decisions about our priorities. Do we want to have a better NDIS system and spend more money? Do we want to spend more on, do we want to have a, a bigger defence budget, and spend money on missiles or nuclear submarines? Or do we want to have affordable housing for people who are less well off? Or do we want to um, invest in nation-building infrastructure? These are all trade-offs. They've all got different valid things. What I say to you is, unfortunately, we're Australians today. Every child's got to get a toy. Everyone's everyone thinks that we just can keep spending money. The result is then we get high inflation. So what I want to be doing is going. Well, come on, no, no, that's the pot. Let's carve it up. Let's hammer it out. Let's let's have the debate. Let's have a winding drag them out. But at the end of the day, let's 
Let's get that budget balanced ultimately. We are in a mini boom now, and it's ridiculous that we've got almost a $79 billion deficit. And by the way, it's $20 billion at least higher than it should have been. What happened was Frydenberg had more revenue coming in. It yes. was unexpected from the original projections. Yes. But what happens, he spent at least half of it. And so the budget deficit right now could be $20 billion lower if Frydenberg had just not increased spending again. It's, it's uh, extraordinary. Yeah. And by the way, the debt of Australia is going to go up 37% in the next three years. 37%. We're not in, we're not in a recession at the moment. We're not, if you, even if you're a Keynes, if you're a Keynesian, you'd be saying, well, we should be actually tightening up at the moment. We should be spending like that when we're, when we're in a recession. But we're not. We've got a, a low unemployment and, and burgeoning inflation. But when you say every child needs a toy, I think that sums a lot of it up. And uh, that's this great tragedy I see in Queensland now. Your public service, which you try to make more lean, has now exploded and is way bigger than we could ever have imagined before or after you came to office. And that's why I'm scared. We need to do this well. We need to do it properly and not have a backlash. Well, yes. But but here's, here's one of the things, Matt. So here, here's one of the poorly learnt lessons of what happened to the Newman government. So the Newman government did downsize the public service but the Newman government had the best performing hospitals in the nation in 2015 when we were thrown out. So we had the best surgery waiting times. Ambulance ramping had been ended, okay? Crime was down because of what we talked about at the beginning of the interview by over 15% across a range of, you know, important categories like assault and burglary, et cetera, armed robbery. They were all down. So... We actually were a government of achievement. I, I could pull out a, a um, editorial from the Courier Mail uh, dated about uh, seven or eight weeks prior to us losing. And you know what the headline is? A-grade result for Newman. Wow. And it starts off, by any measure, the Newman government has succeeded. So that's how the Courier Mail editorialised the Australian yes. and the AFR. But the, yeah. narrative, the narrative today is that those were terrible times, mate. Yeah, it was like the yeah, it, yeah. it was it was it was it was like being under martial law. I, I I'd venture to suggest the the camps, the arrests at night, and all this sort of stuff. I'm being tongue in cheek, of course. Of course, of course. The point is that all got lost. Why did it get lost? Because the LNP, being the political cowards that they are, ran off to the doghouse, whimpering, saying, "We weren't there. We're sorry. It it wasn't us. It was that short bald guy Newman. He did it." Oh, we, we had nothing to do with it. He forced us. It was all. Well, I'm glad you're being. I'm glad you're being very bold because now, if someone puts up their hand in Queensland and says we need to shrink the size of the public service, <laughs> it's all over. It's well, all over. Well, but but, it, but that's but that's that's because that's because of their cowardice now. Yeah, exactly. They have uh, never. I, they, right now, we've got ramping that's out of control. The yes, hospitals yes, have yes. got the hospitals are schmozzled because the unions have taken over. Goes yeah. on and on and on. Um, you know, the, it's extraordinary. Um, and if the LNP had simply held their ground and, and continued to explain to, to the public and the media uh, that these were the things that were achieved, they'd be in a much better position to, um, uh, to, to actually fight and win an election. And because they're not, uh, you go back to your question about me, yes, uh, yes. You know, hopefully I get elected. But I can tell you now there's a very strong push on in the Liberal Democrats up here to actually give Queensland as an alternative at the next state election other than a cowardly, uh, non-performing, lazy LNP opposition. Wow. Uh, Campbell, I... But what do have, I really think? I found you incredibly open, incredibly uh, refreshing. That's Thank you so much for being so open. I'll ask you one last question to, to finish, a simple one. Um, it's it's the question is i'll let you think about it the question is if i gave you a magic wand how would you fix the whole world while you think about your answer everyone if you enjoyed this interview if you think campbell's had some great stuff to say i think it's been a very good interview share the link grab the link from the url here share it on your social media and say hey guys check this out great conversation that's what helps us to grow campbell newman if i gave you a magic wand how would you fix the entire world <laughs> i've got actually no i'll have to come back to you i reckon after a week of thought on that one it's interesting because some people in the uh, other parties say, I'll oh, do this, I'll do this, and those do this. But the LDP people usually say, 
I don't want anything to do a magic wand. Snap it in half. I don't want to control anybody. <laughs> I'd like to. Well, if if it, uh, I, I would, I can think of one thing. I'd like everybody in the world to suddenly get a reality check that socialism doesn't work. That suddenly it, everyone it hasn't been tried uh, properly yet, mate. That it doesn't work at all, and it just leads to people being worse off, and let, being and and being less free. Just let us try it one more time. I promise you it would work. Uh, there you go. That was Campbell Newman. Thank you so much for joining us, sir. Thanks, Best mate. of luck in a week's time. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Hey, it was it's an honour to uh, interview. Thank you, Campbell. That was fun. Before you go, can I just yeah. show? You, I'll just show you this. Yep. So I, I took this into an interview on 4BC Radio mm-hmm. about a week or oh, so ago. Wow. So that's it. So you can see December 2014. I'll read you, if you'll indulge me for a sec. Newman's A-grade result for Queensland, December 2014. On every significant measure of government, from the handling of the economy to leadership, law and order, health and education, the Newman government has exceeded expectations. Campbell Newman was handed a broken government when he became Premier in 2012. After years of mismanagement, economic vandalism and turmoil, the voters of Queensland declared it was time Labor disappeared for a while to rebuild itself. Queensland has wanted the United LNP under the new energetic leader to get a chance to set up our state for a prosperous future. Almost three years later, Labor is a long way from rebuilding anything and the Newman government is a considerable way down the path to set up Queensland for a great future. And it goes Uh on. But that's like you'd never know that now. That's just been hosed out of the public consciousness. That's what I was going on about. So I'm not, you know, yes, I'm talking about myself and my own government, but it is it is true. And I just I just cannot believe that the LNP have got to a point now where the leader would say uh, at a Queensland Media Club lunch uh, that he thought the Queensland Public Service was the right size and it's now much bigger. I, I do want to make a contribution and actually try and be that ballast to the madness of the left. Mm. That's what I really want to do. Mm. Thank you for but your I'll, service. But I'll be much nicer in the way that I'll probably go about it too than I might have been in my, my past. I was younger. Calm, calm down, calm down. 